0: Welcome back to the Growth Over Goals Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. Once in a while, we get to sit down with just a, like a, a dear friend, like a real friend, somebody that we talk to often, somebody that's a part of our consistent world and orbit. And today is that kind of a day. So um, I want this to feel as though you were just hanging out with me and our guest today. We're going to share a casual conversation, but a very purposeful conversation about leadership, growth, family, and faith. I'm with my guest, Thomas Williams. And if you don't know uh, Thomas Williams, let me tell you about Thomas. Thomas has an interesting journey, uh, played football at USC, had an incredible, very decorated college career, went on to play in the National Football League for several years, a few different franchises. Uh, When he wrapped up football, decided that he wanted to make an impact through speaking, coaching, and writing. Today, he's a part of John Gordon's team We share so many mutual friends in common. He's an author of multiple books. He's a speaker. He's a family man. He's a person of faith. And he's become just a really good friend. Um, Thomas and I got connected through Josh Kosnick. So shout out to Josh, our mutual friend. And then later learned, we had so many mutual friends and David Nurse and John Gordon. And so we were meant, Thomas, to be connected. Man, I've so much appreciated your friendship over the years. You have been a blessing to me, and encouragement to me. And today we just get to hang out for an hour and it will be no doubt one of the best hours of my day welcome to the show.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, so much, JM. Man, every time we get a chance to talk and connect, I feel like we always run out of time, never out of things to say. And they say that's how you can measure a true friend, somebody who you value. Um, And so I know we're going to do the same thing today is we're going to run out of time as opposed to things to say. So thanks for having me on your show, man. And thanks for your friendship.
0: Well, bro, I'm just reminded of all the good conversations we've had over the years. And you probably remember this. I think it was early last summer. You call me in like the middle of the day. As I get older, I just realize I don't have as many friends who just call to call, like to say what's up, you know? Like oftentimes it's like somebody maybe you have a business relationship with or your kids play sports together. Yeah. And so you're sort of indirectly maybe calling for like a reason or a purpose. And then there's like, Thomas, you just call to say what's up and like (laughs) check in, you know? And you called to check in and I was getting ready to mow the lawn. You might remember this. And I ended up sitting on the mower for like an hour and 15 minutes and we just caught up Yeah. and we still talk about that, the the lawnmower conversation. But um, I just appreciate the way that you check in, follow up, love people well without strings attached. And you're just yeah. one of those friends, man, that I can count on for, for that type of relationship.
1: Man, I appreciate it. There's, there's so much to learn from each conversation. And I think at this stage at life, right. I'm, I'm knocking on the door at 40. And one Mm. of the things that I'm recognizing is that God's got me in the things that I need, but Mm. there's certain things that I want, right? Like uh, solid men to be able to pour into as well as receive the blessings from them. Mm. Uh, Call and and see what you're doing with your families. I think, you know, uh, one of of my mentors told me a long time ago, good artist copy, great art, artist steal. So I'm stealing, you know, what you're doing with your wife and your family for the weekend. Maybe that's a better plan than what we had. So I think most importantly, man, it's just to hear uh, a comforting confidant on the other end of the phone call each time that we talk.
0: Come on, man. Yep. Well, that's the, that's just the truth, man. That's, uh God's called us to close friendship. You've been a close friend and yeah, uh, had have had such an impact on my life in really a short period of time. I think I've known you for the last three years. I think it's we, we go back only three years. So if you're listening, it's not like I've known you my whole life. I've known you for three years, but they've been three great years. I want our audience to know you. And, and I would rather have them know you as a person than a professional. You've done some incredible things professionally. But I want to talk about the personal side first. Um, one of the things that makes you unique, Thomas, is you actually shut down social media several years ago. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people who were in your shoes would want to be on social media. And here's why. I know that you all cannot uh see Thomas right now. Many of you are listening to this. Uh we we joke with Thomas that he's like pocket aces. That's the joke. So so Thomas is um athletic. Looks like he popped out of GQ magazine. <laughs> he's smart. He's articulate. He's got this big life. He's like serving and impacting so many people. And so most people would want to 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 maybe broadcast that or at least demonstrate um you know the work that they're doing, the impact that they're having, uh Thomas, you made an intentional decision to be off social media, and you have a beautiful family, Taylor and the kids, and you got another one on the way. Uh, But I want you to talk about uh, why you made that decision and ultimately the change that you've seen uh, because of it.
1: Yeah. um, Obedience is greater than sacrifice, first thing that comes to mind obedience is greater than sacrifice and i can't tell you exactly where in the bible that is in that scripture but i know that that's a that's a scripture in the bible and it reminds me of of that moment when i made the decision to get off social media so let's rewind all the way back to december of 2019 walking in asia having this struggle of god why do i feel like i'm um not where I want to be. I don't feel confident. I have all of these uh, other mental anxieties of not, not doing enough, not being enough. I need to do more. And all of a sudden, God just told me, you focus on your family. I'll bring the world to you. And I didn't know what he meant by that. And so probably for about a week, I was wrestling with that statement from him. And so when God said, you focus on your family, I'll bring the rest of the world to you. I heard him, but I did not embrace it. And so December 31st, 2019, that was my last post on any social media platform. And it was scary. It was weird. It was... I almost felt like somebody who craved something that they couldn't have anymore. I don't know if you've ever stopped sugar, if you've stopped like soda, if you stopped watching your favorite TV show. But every time I would be at a red light or I'd be in a coffee shop or I'd be waiting in line at something, I'd check my phone to go on Instagram, to go on Twitter. And because I erased it from my phone, I was looking at a blank screen like, wait, what are you doing? You made this pact and this promise with God of you would get off social media because you were, gonna, you were willing to do what he asked you to do, therefore he was gonna do what you wanted him to do. And I can tell you, honestly, I have not missed it. I feel more complete, I feel more focused, I feel more present. Mm. Um, I don't have this wrestling thought in my mind uh, that I used to have of, I didn't, I didn't speak like John Gordon. I didn't talk like Jordan Montgomery. I, I, I need to do what, what David Nurse is doing. <clears throat> And it's so peaceful because in a generation right now, where we're talking about this person is a thought leader, and you hear the people speak, and they're just regurgitating what John Gordon said. They're regurgitating what John Maxwell said. They're regurgitating in in a, in a different way of what Tony Robinson Tony Robbins said, or 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 anything about you know Eric Thomas. And so, I think the thing that I've learned is that I'm getting clear concise instructions from God about what he wants me to speak, what he wants me to deliver, how he wants me to say it. And I'm good with it. I don't have this, you know, overarching thought or, or person over my shoulders is saying, you could have said that better. You, you, you should have said this instead of that. And I think most importantly, JM is when God challenged me with that, he said, are you doing the work that you're doing for the gram? Or are you doing it because you love the grind? And I couldn't answer him intentionally then. And now I can honestly say the work that I've done over the last four years going on more is I've done it for the grind and I've done it for God. And Mm -hmm. um, nobody will ever know what I do publicly. So I tell people all the time, if you want to find me, either book me to speak or show up at an (laughs) event. Uh, Because other than that, you won't, you won't find unless, you know, obviously somebody records it, but I think most importantly, it is that obedience is greater than sacrifice. And so for me, I've learned that when God tells me to jump, I say how high, I don't ask him any questions and he takes me higher and further than I could have ever imagined or even fathomed myself.
0: I just commend you on that, man, because as simple as that sounds, I, I think so many of us are leading without knowing why, or so many, so many of us are moving without knowing why. And I commend you that you've slowed down to ask the question, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And you're doing some amazing things. You just got back from Bali. Um, tell our listeners just, just briefly, you you had this crazy experience. In, yeah, in I had, Bali, a, had a
1: phenomenal opportunity to speak in Bali at the Indonesian Human Resource Summit, which was uh, just a few days ago. And so uh, I spoke for an hour to 1,100 people, and it was incredible. Their, their theme was... Um, think big, win big, and the session that I talk on was uh, Be Bold, uh, Taking Action Without Fear. And so they had a theme that bold is gold. And so 1,100 people at the end of the session were chanting bold is gold. And it was crazy. It was like almost if you ever, when you go to church and you feel like the worship, the praise, the message, the altar call, like all of it just lined up at the end for this powerful movement. And, you know, like I tell people all the time, it's, it's you know, individuals who have a vision or have a goal, um, they're powerful. But a team in a group that has a vision, they're unstoppable. And mm. in that moment, that group understood about becoming unstoppable because mm. it was a force multiplier. And so using everybody's momentum to move forward not allowing fear to distract them or disrupt them, but actually catapulting them to where they wanted to go. So it was it was incredible, man. Uh, 10 years ago, I stopped playing football in the NFL and I wrote down, what, what is it that I wanna do for the rest of my life? And I wanted to inspire people and I wanted to travel the world to do it. And so mm-hmm. I've been you know, all throughout the United States. And this time I got a chance to fly all of 19 hours to go inspire some people. And so I think, again, it was, it was God's way of saying, I told you, I told you what, uh, you asked me to become a motivational speaker worldwide. I asked you to get off social media, focus on your family, because that's where leadership begins and starts. And then I brought the world mm-hmm. to you. And so it was a cool full circle moment.
0: Well, I'm proud of you, man. And, uh, God's called you to do a bunch of work, um, here overseas He's called you to speak, coach. He's also called you to write. You have a new book out called Dig. Yeah. The forward is by John Gordon. Uh, I want our listeners to know this. The book's called Dig, Discover Your Depth, Determination, and Destiny Through Adversity. And we all go through adversity. This book is practical. Um, it's rich with action and tools. Uh, you had mentioned some points. We're going to get into some points today. Um, I want to start with pushing and preventing and have you talk to our listeners, Thomas, about uh, this idea of, of pushing and preventing.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when we think about um, on this journey uh, to become whoever we want to become or whatever it is that we want to acquire, that we want to experience, we have this grandioso idea of how it's going to feel, of how it's going to look. I remember when I got drafted to the NFL, I was like, I'm going to walk through the, the locker room doors and the pearly gates are just going to start singing to me. But we have to remember that there's so many more low moments there's so many more dark hard difficult times through the journey that the arrival process it's quick but the journey to get there is so long and so the thing about preventing or pushing you a lot of people right now are stopping in their tracks whether it's 6 days 6 hours or 6 months into their journey to become what they set out to do. And so one of the things that I want to remind people to do is that you have to understand is that when you stop moving when you quit essentially You're doing it because you feel like though, that you're being prevented, but what we have to actually do is that we have to take that thing. We have to allow it to, to push us into our greatness. So dive into greatness. That's the acronym for dig. And so I remember when I was in sixth grade and my mom came home from a parent teacher conference, um, she was crying, had tears in her eyes. She said, do you know what your sixth grade teacher told me today? I said, no, not really. He probably just told you that I was, you know, good at recess. My favorite subject was lunch. And, you know, I was doing all those things. And she said, no, by the time that you're 16 years old, you're going to be the leader of a gang shot, stabbed, and killed. And I just remember in that moment, Jordan, because I I already had a dream of playing professional sports. And I was like, no, I'm going to die too soon before that happens. Mm. And in that moment, I hugged my mom and I thought to myself, I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, you have tears of pain and sorrow right now. One day I'm going to give you tears of joy. And so in that moment, I shifted from prevented to pushing. I I mean, there's so many different ways that whether it was being injured in college or it was that time period before I published my first book, Permission to Dream, or even my third book, Dig, there's something's preventing you. And it's Mm. usually us getting in our own way. It's something that's in our head that's actually not real. And so when we get the understanding of I'm being prevented from doing this because of this or all of these other things, we have to immediately catapult ourselves into a pushing state that those are gonna be the forces that drive us, right? Those aren't gonna be the things that stop us. Those are gonna be the things that force us. And so as we move forward, then we come up to the next point in the principle, which is uh we have to find the example. But if we can't find the example, we have to find the proof. Give you perfect example. Um in middle school, I had a best friend Todd. Todd had pocket aces, got the girls, best athlete, best dress, could dance, like he had it all. It was like I tried to find something bad about Todd, and the only thing bad about it was that like there was nothing bad to find about him. (laughs) And so I go to Todd's house one weekend, and um, we were best friends who live close. And I go to this refrigerator because I love to eat. And so this one day in particular, I open up the refrigerator door. But before I do that, I notice his report card on the refrigerator, straight A's. I was like, man, I've never had my report card on the refrigerator. (laughs) So (laughs) I I get whatever I was going to eat. And then, you know, the next week, three straight days after school, I called Todd up and I'm like, Todd, you want to come out and play? Todd goes, nope, can't do it. Call him the next day. Three straight days, Jordan. He just disses me. So I'm like, hey, man, what's up? You hang out with me at school. Am I not cool enough to hang out with after school? And he goes, Thomas, let me ask you something. What's the first thing you do when you get home? I go, first thing I do is I play. And then I do my homework later. He goes, right. The first thing I do when I get home is I do my homework and then Mm. I play with the time that I have left over. In that moment, he said, Thomas, do the things you have to do first Mm. so that you can Mm. do the things you want to do later. Okay. Now fast forward two years, I go from a 2.3 grade point average to a 3.5. How do I do it? Mm. I do it because I didn't have the example. I don't have siblings. I didn't have, you know, you know, uh, honor roll like parents who you know as you walk down the halls, you see their their you know their mm. graduate degrees and all these just different certificates. So I didn't have the example in the home, but I was able to find the proof with Todd. Todd gave mm. me the blueprint, said, do what you have to do first until you can do what you want to do later. So I went from a two point three to a three point five. That was the first time in ninth grade my mom ever put the report card up on the refrigerator. Come so on. what we have to do and understand is that because we don't have the example of how to be a good father in our household, or maybe because we come from a generational curses of broken or or blended families, or, or however you want to want to term that, that we have to find the the proof in the Jordan Montgomerys, in our friends, in our circles. And the good thing about it that I don't have this privilege anymore, but the good thing about it is that on social media there's proof of how to do it. Now the only thing that's wrong with that example of proof is that there's so much time in between successes. So we only see the highlights. We don't necessarily see A, B, C, D, all the way through the alphabet. We see A, R, Z. And so what we have to do is we have to find the ways to fill in the blanks. And so when we can find the examples or the proofs of these things, we don't have the excuse anymore that I can't do it. I have, you know, Jordan Montgomery, who I can call anytime and say, Jordan, I'm struggling in my parenthood right now. I'm struggling in, in being present with my with my family. I'm struggling in when my daughter wants to go outside and ride the bike. I'm constantly thinking about work or mm. I'm working out when I should be with the family or I'm hiding in my office because I don't know how to be present. I can call you and I can get the proof that it can be done. Mm. I can call other speakers and get the proof that I can carry a 60-minute keynote, or I can deliver and facilitate a six or eight-hour training workshop. Um, and so what we have to do is find those proofs, even when we mm. don't have the examples, because you know this is just where I come from. This is just the way that I am. That's not an excuse anymore. Mm. So the next one is you know we have to find the quitting point. And so in every single hardship, every single adversity that I've experienced, that I've heard what people talked about, there's an opportunity to go left and quit or right and keep going. And so if you go left and quit, you're always going to find yourself at the bottom and you're also going to have to start over again at something else. But what happens is if you go right, going right doesn't mean that you keep going. Going right that you pause in the quitting moments. It's kind of like the tipping Mm. point when Malcolm Gladwell talks about it. Good,
0: man, so good.
1: There's a quitting point in every single thing that we're going through. And in those quitting points, miracles are going to happen. Mm. The first one that I ever experienced, I called my mom when I was in college at USC and I said, mom, I'm ready to quit. The coaches are yelling at me. I don't even feel like I can tie my shoes properly. And I'm thinking my mom's going to tell me, cool, come on home. I'm her only child, I'm her favorite. Of course, she's going to love to cook another home-cooked meal for me. She says, nope, you can't quit. If you quit and run from this, you'll run forever. So she said, Thomas, if we study something long enough, eventually over time, we'll get it. I didn't play that first year. I redshirted. If I would have quit, I would have went to another school. I would have missed my miracle. My miracle Mm -hmm. came in the form of Ken Norton Jr., who showed up on the doorsteps the very first day of my second season in my redshirt year. He taught me so many life lessons, football lessons. He also... Even though I didn't have the example of a professional athlete, I had the proof every single day. He played 13 years in the NFL, but I was going to quit and go to another school. I was going to quit and stop playing football. But I found that moment. The second one happened in my fourth year in the NFL. I'm not getting any shine at practice. I'm not even getting opportunities. I'm, I'm on the 52nd, 53rd, 54th man bubble anyway. So I'm the last person on the totem pole. So I need more practice, more reps. So I call my dad one day and I'm like, dad, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm practicing as hard as I can. It's 123 degrees with the heat index. I'm going to quit. My dad goes, how long was the contract you signed? I said, four years. He said, what year are you in? I said, fourth. He goes, how many years you need a pension? I said, four. How many years you need vested?" Four. He goes, play the rest of this year out. Do what you need to do at the end of the year. I Go from third string on the depth chart in the first game to the starting linebacker in the third game, back to back. John Beeson, who in my mind is one of the best linebackers I ever played with, mm-hmm. Thomas Davis, who's another one of the best linebackers I ever mm-hmm. played with, they go down in back-to-back games. Now all of a sudden I'm the starter. If I quit JM, I don't get vested. You miss it. I don't get I don't get life or I don't get my health insurance. I don't get my annuities. I don't get my benefits. I don't get to play. I never go to start, like, these are the moments you just, I'm not even Mm. telling you to keep going and push through that. I'm telling you to pause. Wait for those moments because the miracles happen in the quitting moments. There's something that's about to be powerful. That's going to happen right as you get ready to quit. Because here's the thing, those quitting moments, everybody experiences them. This is where you have to have that poker face. Everything's all good. Everything's all good because there's going to be some people who are going to quit. They're going to make room Mm. for you. If there's only eight seats at the table, now there's going to be more seats for you. There's going to be more rooms. So find out those moments. And when you have to do it, the the fourth one is I'm talking about legacy with dig. See, when we think about legacy, we talk about things, right? A wallet, a house, a car, a watch; those things are phenomenal, right? We we have kids; we we want to mm-hmm. leave something for them. But as we we know that when we talk about legacy, it's not about the things, but it's about the lives touched and the stories told. Mm. So I'll share a story that I found out, and I I you know implemented this in the book, um, and I was doing research and studying and just trying to find out other examples of digging is that the legacy piece is the most important. So in 1954, everybody thought in the entire world that the four-minute mile was unbreakable. You couldn't break the mile in four minutes. And so it was like 401, and that time stood for years. So 1954, a guy by the name of Roger Bannister comes, and he breaks it. Three minutes, 59 seconds, and a little bit of change on top. But he broke it. That same year, 30 people broke the four-minute record. Mm. the next year, hundreds of people broke it. Now, all of a sudden, if I tell somebody I run a four minute mile, they're going to look at me like I'm slow. They're going to be like, oh, that's cute. Like, let us know when you get down here to the three forties, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And so the legacy that Roger Bannister left was that he gave people the notion that they could too.
2: Mm.
1: See, we might not know about Roger Bannister, but we know somebody who can run the mile in under four minutes. Where do they get that confidence from? Where do they get that knowledge and thinking that they could? Because nothing changed. Mm -hmm. Nobody's muscles got developed overnight in 1954. All of a sudden they drink some potion juice and now all of a sudden they're cruising, you know, under four minute miles. It was one person Mm -hmm. who understood his job and said, when I break this, I'm going to open up the lines for other people. And so when we're dig, no matter what it is for us, that legacy pieces last on purpose, because that's mm. the last thing we're supposed to think about. Right before you get ready to quit, right before you get ready to throw in the towel, when you think that it's not time for you to keep going, think about the person who you're going to make it possible for.
2: Mm. Think
1: about the person who's going to come and say, because Jordan Montgomery kept going, kept pushing forward. I know that I can too. And so, even though we might not say Jordan Montgomery, we know there's going to be somebody that's going to break through that wall and show us that it's possible and doable. And that's how we're supposed to live, man. We're supposed Mm. to keep telling the story and keep doing it and running the race so that other people can say it. So, it's those four things. First and foremost, is something preventing you or pushing you? Next one, Mm. if you can't find the example or if you don't have the example, find the proof. Mm. Number three, miracles in the quitting point, that moment where you're about to quit and give up. Something is amazing is about to happen. Like get excited. Don't get frustrated. Don't get down on yourself, but get pumped up. Almost like it's almost like you took some pre-workout and you're like, Ooh, I'm starting to tingle a little bit. Like I'm getting ready. And the fourth one, that last one, the legacy that you leave will be the loudest.
0: Yeah. So good. So you're helping people here. Here's why this book is timely. And I, and I, when I when I think about this book, I, I think it's a book for all people, but I think about a lot of young leaders who are making really important life decisions, decisions with their career, decisions with their family, and you just gave people a formula, Thomas, for making healthy decisions and for getting um to to getting to a place where you can use wisdom and discernment to navigate. Like the, yes. to me, this book is a wisdom discernment book. Yes. Um, when I think about who God made you to be, I think about you as somebody with great wisdom, mm. great discernment. I think you know that about how how God's created you. I think you have a brain that that works different than than it does for most people. I mean I, I really believe that. I think you see things that people don't see. I think that you you feel things that not everybody feels. And so for for a person who's been given um a certain level of wisdom and discernment, you've also had to make some of your own decisions. Yeah. And you made a really big decision recently that required your family to move uh, across the country, really. I mean, multiple states away. But here's what I want people to know about this decision, and, and, and I want you to elaborate on it. Um, L.A. for you was safe, right? And, and it wasn't just safe. It was a place where you were embraced and accepted. Like, if you play for the Trojans, you didn't just play for the Trojans, you were a star for the Trojans. So L.A. is a place where you're known. It feels familiar, It's safe, you're embraced, you're celebrated, and you felt like God was calling you away from LA. And I want, I want you to talk to us about how you made this decision and why you ultimately said yes to move to Denver, Colorado.
1: Yeah. So I mean, so good. You know, Jordan, here's the thing that you just mentioned. Convenience kills discipline. Oof. Anytime that you're convenient, it kills discipline. You think about it. If you work from home and you had a discipline of not eating. But your but your kitchen's fifteen feet away. Ah, if you have workout equipment at home because you want to be convenient. Ah, uh, you know what? I normally go and work out for about you know an hour. I'll do fifteen minutes four times today. And so when we think about that, we have to remember that convenience kills discipline. And so for me, my discipline had been killed for a while. I'd been operating on the past and the previous. I'd been operating in a way of. This is the 2003 version of me. This Mm. is the 2007 version of me. This is the NFL version of me. I have never experienced or walked into a place, first and foremost, as the man I am. And then we can talk about what I've accomplished and what I've done. And so this is me stepping into who I am as a man, as a leader of a house, as a father, as a speaker, as an author. Oh, yeah. Mm. Didn't you play football? Oh, my gosh. I've done, and I'm so much more than that. I've actually forgotten. And so for me to make the move, first and foremost, Taylor and I, when we started having children, we talked about where is it that we want to raise our kids. And we both agreed. It was almost like we said at the same time, not here. And nothing wrong with l a, But there are some things that just not really conducive for us to the lifestyle that we want to live with kids. First and foremost, the traffic. I mean, it's horrendous. We moved, we moved from LA to Denver and Jordan, the first time I ever left the house to run errands, the kids went to sleep. And so I was like, I got five things to do. I got to pick two of them because that's what I was used to doing. And I said, all right, I'm gonna do these two. And I look at the watch and I still got time. I said, let's go three. I got all five things done, came back and the kids were still asleep. So that told me, ding, 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 we made the right decision. But the thing about it was I could have easily stayed in la and been comfortable taylor could have easily stayed in la and been comfortable but the thing that we had to do is saying that god has called us for greater and anytime you're stressed with a situation about a big move like that Mm. first thing you have to do because we have to remember the first person we talk to about a decision is going to have the biggest influence so true first person we talk to about a decision is going to have the bit, biggest influence. And so I was praying to God, okay, God, but why, this, this doesn't feel right. And I'm feeling uncomfortable. And, and I said, God, but if I, if I leave, I'm not going to fall. Right. I'm, I, I had a network. I got friends. I got, I know people here and God in the moment, see, God will spank you. Even as an adult, God spanked me and said, <laughs> you might not fall, but boy, you definitely aren't going to fly. And I was like, whoa, God, you want me to fly. Okay, so now we literally have to fly. And so we went a couple of states over and moved to Colorado. And the biggest thing was, first and foremost, Taylor and I collaborated about it. This was not a dictatorship. We are going to move. This is, hey, where would you like to go? So we went and toured a couple of places. We fell in love with here and we moved here. The thing is, is that we also didn't say we're going to live here forever. We're going to find our forever home. We're going to build our forever home. We're going to be here forever. No, Mm -hmm. things can change. People can pivot. But what we aren't going to do is we're not going to say we're going to leave. We're going to stay. We're going to leave. We're going to stay. We're going to leave on this date.
2: Mm.
1: Sign the papers, book the flight, U-Haul, van, movers, all boom. We're committed because what faith requires is us to take steps. And so many times we're half in, half out with our faith. And therefore, God doesn't prepare the next step because he knows we're hesitant on even taking it. And so when we don't take it, God doesn't prepare it. So now as you start walking, start taking these te- steps of faith, God plans the steps.
2: Mm.
1: The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Mm. The steps of a good man, he's telling you to take steps. And so the only thing we have to do is be consistent and be committed to what we tell God. Hey, God, this is what I want to do. He's like, good, I already got it plan. But then when we start going, I don't know, God, I, I don't know. See, we don't know what's on the next step that's going to change trajectory of the last step. Because we're so worried about being here and being convenient, being comfortable. And so for me, the biggest thing is that I did fall into this trap of lethargy. I did fall into this trap of, know me as the guy who I used to be. Mm -hmm. So here, as I move, I have to go back to thinking and being like a rookie. Ronnie Lott told me, he said, Thomas, every year I stepped into an NFL locker room, I threw away my old playbook. And I was like, Ronnie, what does that mean? He goes... Even though I was on the team and I knew the defense, I always found something new every single day. So I didn't want to oh, have so good. I didn't want to write down yep. old, old notes. I didn't want to keep my old notes. Wow. I want to throw that old, I want to throw that old one away. I want some new wow. things. He goes, think like a rookie. So when I'm here, I want to meet everybody. I don't know anybody. They don't know me. And then they don't know this version of me. I'm not Thomas Williams the old football player. I'm Thomas Williams here as I am. Mm. And so right now, man, it is is exciting. It's nerve-wracking. There's, there's uncertainty, but every single time I've been uncertain, God's always shown me in places. And this is the the, the last piece that I want to add to, to that, you know, Jordan, you were talking about for me and the wisdom and the spirit of discernment. And I think where I'm at now, and God gave me this revelation a couple of days ago of I was talking to a friend and, and, and we were having this discussion and he said, God's not answering my prayers. And what we have to do is sometimes when we pray for something and God doesn't answer that prayer, what we need to do, God wants us to pray for perspective.
2: Mm.
1: We need to see the picture, how he sees it, because then that will give us more patience. When we, do, when we only see the perspective from our lens, we want God to solve the problem, fix mm. this one issue. God's saying, you don't see the whole thing. So therefore, you're only praying for the small dose. If you pray for perspective, I'll show you the big picture. And so that's the thing that I think that has been helping me with that. And it's also given me solace in the decision of moving here. God said, you're not playing sports anymore. There's not a, a finite amount of time. It's not four quarters. It's not 60 minutes, It's not nine innings. It's, not, it's none of that. This is a long play. So when you get stuck, when you get in a rut, pray for perspective. And I'll show you the picture.
0: That's so good, man. You just dropped so much wisdom. I, I'm still back on like what you said about, uh, Convenience, like I think this whole thing about convenience kills discipline. Prayer versus perspective, pushing versus preventing. Like, this is a masterclass in wisdom and discernment, and um, you're dripping that on people everywhere you go. And in this new book, man, um, I wish there was a wisdom and discernment section because it would sit on the top shelf if that section existed in Amen. in a Barnes and Noble bookstore. You know, um, but I just uh, appreciate the way that you've been diving into greatness. Thomas, for as long as I've known you, man, I just think you walk your talk. I think you operate with great integ- uh, integrity and character. And I just think you love people well. I was thinking about these four questions. Um, if we're going to talk about decisions and diving into greatness, discovering depth, determination, and destiny through adversity, the four questions I, I just want our audience to hear, because I think I think this is so much of your spirit and how you're operating. Number one is, what does love require of me? So if I'm going to love people well, if I'm going to love my family well, like what does that require of me? How am I to live if I'm going to love people well? Um, number two, and this is a Thomas Williams question, is what story do I want to tell? You know, if if I'm going to make a decision at the end of the day, that's going to become part of my story. Number three is uh, what part of the problem is, is me? You know, um, at the end of the day, like uh, so often as we navigate, uh, we're quick to point the finger or point to – you know other factors, but the reality is, like, um, man, God's called us to focus on on us, you know, and and take care of home first. And then the last one is the Andy Stanley question. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling this the Thomas Williams question. This is a this is a question that that embodies who you are, and it's what is the wise thing to do? Yeah. What is the wise thing to do? Yeah. And uh, so, Thomas, I appreciate your wisdom, man. I, I I love the wisdom that you've been dripping on me for the last three years. I love the wisdom that you dripped on our audience over the last forty minutes. Um, what else do you want our listeners to like as we sign off anything you want to leave our our listeners with i, I ultimately i want people to go grab a copy of the book dig yes. we're going to put a an amazon link in the show notes so that you can go purchase uh thomas's new book um but anything else you want our listeners to know whether it's about the book or anything that we talked about today on leadership faith and family
1: Yeah, so as you were talking, man, it it just really laid heavy in my spirit to speak to somebody and tell them that their inhibition has nothing to do with them except the exposures to others. Mm. The inhibition that that you're showing up with, should I do this? Should I move forward? See, it's about you. And anything that's about Mm. you, it's ego-driven. Anything that's about Mm. others is humility. And so when it's about us, then we get frantic, we get fearful. So that inhibition for us to move forward, we're starting to think about how it's going to make me look, how it's going to make me feel, how it's going to make you know my, my bottom line. But when we think about others, you pushing through is going to give somebody else the proof that they can push through too. So your inhibition has nothing to do with you except the exposure to others.
0: Straight goal, man. You're the best. I appreciate you. I respect you. I can't wait to see this new book impact the lives of so many, including our listeners. Thank you, man, for investing an hour with our community. Thank you for your friendship. Thanks for the light that you're bringing to this world. You're the best.
1: Thank you so much, J.M. Appreciate you, man. Love you,
0: brother. All right, man. God bless. This has been another episode of the Growth Over Goals podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. Thank you for hanging out with me and Thomas Williams for the last 40 minutes. We're glad that you're here, and I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. If you found any value in this episode, I would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe to this podcast in an effort that we might move our mission of impact forward. I also want to say thank you to our producers, John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia, for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this podcast go. Be well, be great. Have a wonderful day.